You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreit is on the phone. So say. Podcast presented by Betfred Sportsbook. It is Monday, November 28th. 2022 people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody, and I mean this sincerely, had a great Thanksgiving weekend. Hope you spent time with friends and family. Hope you watched some college football. Hope you watched some college basketball. And hope you're ready for a jam-packed Monday episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Pod. Here is what you need to know about today's show. Today, I think we focus on the football. Tuesday's show, we will recap Feast Week in college basketball, talking about the PK-80 events, talking about 85 events, talking about the battle for Atlantis, everything else that happened. But there was so much football over the course of the weekend that it feels like today is the time to specifically talk about that. We are going to obviously open the mega game in Columbus. Ohio State for a second straight year gets destroyed by Michigan. What do we make of Ryan Day after that one? What do we make of Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines after that one as it is an incredible game, an incredible result, incredible content. From there, we'll whip whip around the rest of the country. Clemson loses, LSU loses. With that, what does the playoff picture look like? Also, did Caleb Williams clinch the Heisman? And then we will end the show with coaching carousel chaos. Say that 10 times fast. Auburn thought they had their head coach now, as I record here about 7.30 Eastern time on Sunday. We're not really sure if that's the case. Also, Wisconsin with a stunning hire. Nebraska has their head coach. Arizona State has their new head coach. And is Deion Sanders headed for a very surprising location? We will discuss all that. Again, if you came for college basketball, I promise a full Tuesday recap. With that said, though, Let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, I am, of course, talking about Michigan-Ohio State. Ohio State at home is a a 7.5-point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook. How about this? We find out Saturday morning, Blake Corum's star Michigan running back is unavailable to go. The line gets all the way up to 9, and absolutely none of it matters, as Michigan does exactly what they did last year, Only bigger, better, and on the road, just absolutely obliterating 
Ohio State 45 to 23 in Columbus. Hail to the victors. Two games in a row for Michigan, two losses in a row for Ohio State, and there is so much to react to. We're going to do a quick reaction now, and then we'll come back and do the full reaction on Monday's Aaron Torres pod. But to me, what I find interesting about this game is that I do think it, it, it plays into what I say very often in life. I said, two, I, what do I always say on this show? Two things in life can be true, even two things that seemingly seem counterintuitive, right? And so with the Ohio State-Michigan game, I'll say this. On the one hand, I did pick Michigan to win this game outright. On the other hand, especially in light of the Blake Corum news, it felt like if there was ever a time that Ohio State was going to get Michigan, things will never be set up better than they were this year. The game is at home. You're, of course, coming off a brutal loss last year to Michigan that cost you pretty much everything you were playing for a year ago. The weather is nice, not going to be a factor. Obviously, last year it was cold and snowy and icy in Ann Arbor. You're at home. Weather's in your favor. You're coming off a loss. You're playing for everything just like you do pretty much every year if you're Ohio State coming into the Michigan game. And then, like I said, oh, by the way, we basically find out at kickoff that Blake Corum, who I think should be in New York as a Heisman finalist, is essentially unavailable to go. And so everything is set up for Ohio State. And I will tell you when I started to get worried about Ohio State. I started to get worried about Ohio State in about the middle of the second quarter when it was clear that Michigan could not move the ball on the ground. They could not do what has made them all successful. And Ohio State could not capitalize. They could not jump out beyond, I think it was 10 to three at some point. They couldn't get that two score lead. They couldn't get that 17 to three margin. They couldn't create separation. Instead, JJ McCarthy hits a few passes. All of a sudden, the game is basically knotted up going into halftime. And that is when I got worried about Ohio State. And as I said, two things in life can be true. I picked Michigan. Everything was favored. Everything was breaking in Ohio State's favor coming in. But ultimately, why Ohio State lost this game goes back to why I picked Michigan to win. I said on my show, on Monday, on Wednesday, on our Black Friday show when I previewed this game, I said there is no doubt, and by the way, this isn't a super unique opinion from my perspective, but I said, look, Ohio State's the more talented team. Nobody's debating that. But they have also been inconsistent, and what I said all week, I said when a team shows you who they are, believe them. Ohio State is more talented, but Ohio State has been more inconsistent all year. I think you can really look at four to five different games where they were really on the ropes and could have lost. Trailed it half to Notre Dame, where it was able to pull it out. The Iowa game. If you remember, we talked about it on this show. Early on in that game, defense keeps forcing turnovers, keeps making plays. Ohio State's offense can't move the ball. Ohio State has to settle for five field goals in the first half against Mich- or against Iowa. Excuse me. Now, they put up, end up putting up 50 points, but that was because Iowa's offense can't move the ball. They can't get, they can't stay on the field, and the defense was just exhausted by, by the end. You have the Penn State game where Ohio State trailed midway through the fourth quarter, and basically the defense bailed them out with one play after another, after another, after another. You have the Merrill, you have the Northwestern game, excuse me, which was sloppy and ugly. And you had the Maryland game last week where, again, I felt like I was taking crazy pills. Maryland had the ball with under a minute to go driving with the opportunity to beat Ohio state. 
again, to the credit of Ohio State's defense, they can't come up with the big play to win the game. But why I picked Michigan, I said, Ohio State has been telling you who they are all year. Believe them. And that's exactly what happened. And so as we look beyond the game on Saturday, where Michigan gets its biggest win in Columbus since the 70s, in a game where they could not run the ball at all, yet still found a way to finish with 250 yards rushing when it was all said and done. And when I say they couldn't run the ball, I mean early in the game, Donovan Edwards, two big runs late to seal the victory. But what I'm saying and what I'm talking about is this. There is one thing that comes to mind when I evaluate this game and when I talk about the big picture of this game. To me, what this game comes down to is one simple thing. Blame falls on one specific person, and that specific person is Ryan Day. And when I think about this loss and when I think about the tough questions that we have to ask about Ryan Day, one specific thing comes to mind. Do you remember what Jim Harbaugh said after the Ohio State-Michigan game last year when Michigan won it? He said some people were born on third base and think they hit a triple. He was, of course, talking about Ryan Day, but I'm going to be blunt. After this game, after the second year in a row where Michigan takes care of Ohio State, I'm just going to say it. Jim Harbaugh is dead right on Ryan Day. And so when I look at this, here is the bigger picture. Here is what you need to know about Ryan Day, okay? You look at Ryan Day's situation. I don't think anyone would argue. He took over what I would argue outside of Alabama was the best infrastructure in college football at the time from Urban Meyer. If you remember, there were no real wholesale changes after that first season. Um, Basically, you kind of kept the staff in place. You kept the strength and conditioning in place. You keep the -the off-the-field developmental things in place. And Ryan Day's first year, he was legitimately awesome, right? They go to the college football playoff. They play Clemson. Um, It was a game. There was a lot of sketchy calls late. I would argue, by the way, Ohio State was still up 16-0 in that game, found a way to lose. And so year one, you say, Ryan Day is awesome. Ohio State's not missing a beat. They're destroying everybody. If the refs didn't bail them out against Clemson, potentially, maybe they're playing for a national championship. That was the year they would have played LSU and Joe Burrow. Year two, okay, we're a little bit more removed now from the Urban Meyer era. A few guys like Jeffrey Akuda, Chase Young go pro, okay? What happens in year two? Well, that, of course, is the COVID year. Remember, COVID situation happens. Ohio State, Big Ten isn't going to play, limited to six games. And even that season, you started to see the the holes, you know, you started seeing the little water flooding through the dam that, that ends up now being the Titanic here two years later. But they played just six games. They struggle against Indiana that season. They do win the Big Ten championship game against Northwestern. But remember, That was a game that they trailed Northwestern at halftime. They rallied to win. And if you remember that year, there was actually a conversation until Notre Dame lost on the final day of the regular season of whether Ohio State should be left out of the college football playoff. So Ohio State gets in, they play for a title, but they're not quite as good as the year before. Then we have last year where, of course, they take two losses. They lose to Oregon at home. They lose to Michigan on the road. Don't win the Big Ten East. Don't win a Big Ten championship. Don't make the college football playoff. Fast forward to this year, and what happens there? Well, you beat a bunch of teams that it really doesn't matter that you beat. The one game that it matters, the one game that you have spent your whole year preparing for, you play at home against the Wolverines, and you get destroyed. And so that's why this falls on Ryan Day. Because at least last year, Ryan Day could argue, 
well, you know, we weren't good, but it wasn't really my offense. We're not tough enough in the trenches. Our defense needs a schematic overhaul. And so what happens? This offseason, Ryan Day goes out and hires a new O-line coach, goes out and hires, obviously, Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator. And I'll be blunt, on Saturday in Columbus, it kind of looked a lot like last year against Michigan. And so it falls on Ryan Day. There is no one else to have excuses for other than Ryan Day. There's no one to blame other than Ryan Day. And I'll say this. Anyone who can't see that this program is going in the wrong direction, I don't know what to tell you. Think about this. I saw this stat. Well, I found this stat. I'll give myself a little credit. And I put it on my social media Twitter feed. Do you know that in Ryan Day's last eight games against top 15 teams, That dates back to the 2020 national title game where they got destroyed by Alabama. In his last eight games against top 20, uh, top 15 teams, Ryan Day is four and four overall. Okay. Lost to Alabama in the title game, lost to Oregon last year, lost to Michigan last year, lost to Michigan this year. Beyond that, in three of the four games in which they won against top 15 teams, they trailed at the half in three of those four games. Notre Dame earlier this year, Penn State earlier this year, and then last year in the Rose Bowl against Utah. And so essentially, we're now talking about a two-year sample size with Ryan Day, where you look at that team, Ohio State in big games against teams with pseudo-comparable talent, anyone with a pulse, basically, Ohio State has looked like Ohio State in exactly one of those games. That was against Michigan State last year, which you may remember was in the top 15 at the time. I think they were in the top 10. And they also happen to have the worst pass defense in college football last year. That is the one time that Ohio State has looked like Ohio State. And so to me, what's fascinating now is what happens next. Now, obviously, one thing that happened during that game, Clemson loses. So it now sort of opens up a situation where, as I record, there is a backdoor into the college football playoff. For Ohio State, you know, you you look ahead and if, if TCU takes a loss, if USC takes a loss, Ohio State's right back in this thing as a potential wild card entry to the college football playoff. But to me, it's so fascinating what happens next with Ryan Day, right? Because this is a guy, and I'm not saying he's going to get fired, and I'm not saying this, I'm not saying he's that. But he gets paid $10 million a year. And in the last two years, anytime his team has played anyone with comparable talent, It has been a war. It has been a fight. And I think what's especially disappointing with Ohio State fans, you're getting out toughed. You're getting out physical. I don't think anybody thinks Michigan has more talent than Ohio State. And this one falls square on Ryan Day. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
All right, so let's switch gears and talk about things from the other perspective. That is, of course, the Michigan perspective. And yeah, I just spent a bunch of time talking Ohio State with good reason. As I often say, the more interesting story is in the losing locker room. I don't think there's any doubt that was the case on Saturday in Columbus. But at the same time, we got to spend a few minutes doing, uh, to frankly use a bad term, we got to throw some roses at the feet of Michigan. Because Michigan, for the second straight year, not only beats Ohio State, but absolutely punks them to the point that there are no excuses, right? And I think part of the conversation, part of what makes this game and this victory so interesting is pretty straightforward, is last year, the excuses out of Columbus, they flowed like uh, water down the Mississippi, right? I joked about it on my radio show on Saturday night, but it was funny, right? Because last year, Ohio State, after that game, it was almost like your parents describing their childhood as opposed to yours. What do I mean by that? Remember when you were a kid and your parents used to say, uh, well, you know, back in my day, we used to have to walk to school. Then it wasn't just that they walked to school. It was that they walked five miles. And then they walked five miles and two feet of snow. And then they walked five miles and two feet of snow uphill both ways. And it's like, at some point you're like, mom, stop. That doesn't even make sense. What are you talking about? And that was kind of the Ohio State thing last year. First, it's just Ohio State takes an L credit to Michigan. Then it's, well, you know, the weather wasn't very good. We couldn't throw the ball. Then it was, well, you know, they were a little more physical than us, but we're going to figure it out in the offseason. Then it was, well, you know, the weather, physicality. And, oh, by the way, I don't know if you heard, we had the flu running through our locker room, uh, and it was not pretty. We had guys throwing up in the corner 10 minutes before kickoff. And it's like, at some point, the excuses have to stop from Ohio State. And I think that's what made the victory so much more special for Michigan is the weather was, you know, we just talked about it a minute ago from the Ohio State perspective, but the weather was perfect. It was in Columbus. Um, You know, uh, Ohio State was banged up, but Michigan was without their Heisman Trophy running, uh, you know, caliber running back. And so there are no excuses. Michigan probably gets to enjoy this victory even more. And so I do want to talk about things from the Michigan perspective, because I will say, I do think it changes how we view Jim Harbaugh. I think it changes how we view J.J. McCarthy. I think it changes how we view Michigan in the context of of the Big Ten uh, and, frankly, the national championship or the national college football landscape. And so to start, I want to give two people specifically credit for the win, uh, one that I have very much believed in through the years and one that I frankly haven't. And so I got to take one big L and I got to take one big victory lap. And let's start with the L. I'll just be blunt. I was dead wrong on J.J. McCarthy, okay? And I think most people kind of know the background. Michigan starting quarterback J.J. McCarthy, but comes in as a five-star last year, is a backup to Cade McNamara during a Big Ten championship season where you beat Ohio State. But all year long, you kind of hear this, this, this trickle out of, well, you know, McCarthy has more upside and he really probably gives them the better chance to win. And it's a matter of if not when he gets the job. And so when he did get the job earlier this year, I said, like, I get it, but you got to show me something at some point. And I'll be honest, through the first probably eight, nine, ten weeks of the season, it's not that I didn't see the tools. It's not that I didn't see the potential, but I, I, we didn't actually need to like, like he didn't actually, in my opinion, actualize. In other words, we know he has a huge arm. We know he's a super athlete that can out sprint some really good defenders, but I never had to see it. And I kind of always questioned. Did Michigan really make the right decision? Was this really the right move? Well, on Saturday, we saw that for sure it was. Now, to credit to J.J. McCarthy, I think you can even go back to the Illinois game last week, where in that game, 
He made some plays late to lead Michigan to victory. But Saturday, those tools were on full display. And maybe even more importantly, not only were the tools on full display, but they, you know, he made plays when they mattered. He made plays in the game. And frankly, he made plays that Cade McNamara, the guy that he replaced, couldn't have made. First off, there's the passing stuff. Uh, again, we knew how big the arm was. We knew how talented he was on paper and in, you know, on film or whatever. But again, to see it in a big game like this was huge. And I think we get so caught up in those big touchdown passes. I actually, you know what I was actually more impressed by with J.J. McCarthy on Saturday? It was actually his running ability against Ohio State. As I mentioned a minute ago, Michigan was really struggling to run the ball early. Now, they did hit a few big deep passes. But at the same time, I thought when they were struggling to run the ball, you know what their run game actually became? became J.J. McCarthy breaking the pocket and picking up 6, 8, 10, 12 yards on a couple different runs. Only carried the ball six times, only carried the ball for 27 yards, but those six carries did enough to the defense, which did, what they did to the defense, I should say, really changed the game. Because now, they do have the ability to run the ball. Now you have to account for J.J. McCarthy. You can't load the box. He throw, He hits a few deep passes and now all of a sudden you see the run game open up as well. And that was where Donovan Edwards late in the game really sealed the victory with two big runs to again get the win. But I don't think that Donovan Edwards has that success if J.J. McCarthy isn't able to move the ball with his feet and also, of course, move the ball with his arms. 263 yards passing, three touchdowns. Incredible, incredible, incredible effort from him. So readily, I'm just going to own it. I was dead wrong on J.J. McCarthy. I got to take that L. I got to own it. And I got to say, I've said on this podcast, I've said on this show for years, not years, but months. You get the point. For months, I've said, I don't really know if he is the guy. One guy that I've been dead right about this whole time, though, oh, it's my buddy Jim Harbaugh. And the Harbaugh stuff, you know, it kind of reminds me of Brian Kelly, right? Is for years, I defended Brian Kelly. I said, Notre Dame's a hard place to win in the modern era of college football. Now, I don't think Michigan is as hard to win at as Notre Dame, but what I would say and what I have said and what I will continue to say is that I think for most of probably the last 20, 15, 10 years, whatever, especially prior to Harbaugh's arrival, I think the brand has been bigger and better than maybe the job itself. It's not an easy place to win. We know cold weather, Michigan doesn't recruit, uh, doesn't uh, um, create the caliber of high school players that many of the southern states, Louisiana, Georgia, Florida, Texas, certainly even California, Ohio, you don't get the same number of players. It's a good academic school. So the point I'm trying to make is that I always have defended Harbaugh. I don't think the job is as easy as people give it credit for, and I don't think he gets the credit he deserves for what he did early in the job. I know that up until last year, he never beat Ohio State, but let's call a spade a spade here. He was going up early in his career against an established all-time head coach in Urban Meyer. And I'm not going to do the, well, Urban Meyer's top five, or Urban Meyer's top ten. I don't know where Urban Meyer is, and I don't really know what you guys and girls think or know or care about Urban Meyer. But whatever happened off the field, whatever happened in the NFL, that guy was an incredible college football coach, three national championships at two different schools, and Harbaugh came in when he really had that thing operating at the highest level. By the way, second year, probably should have beaten Ohio State. We all know what happened, the 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 fourth down that JT Barrett kind of snuck by. I still think it was a bad call, whatever. I think it was a bad spot. But the point I'm trying to make, 
Harbaugh comes in, and what's the knock? Well, he wins a lot of games, but he can't beat Ohio State. Well, can he not beat Ohio State, or could he not beat Urban Meyer, who was established at that point? Well, Urban Meyer leaves, and now we see what has started to happen. Year one, Ryan Day, as we just discussed, had all Urban Meyer's players. He's awesome. 2020, they don't play because of COVID. Last two years, it's been a different story. And so when I look at Harbaugh, this goes back to what I have said about Harbaugh from the beginning. What I have said is, this guy is a great coach. Michigan's not an easy job. And just look at the win-loss record. 10 wins his first year. 10 wins his second year. This overall is year eight for Jim Harbaugh. And if you take out the COVID season of 2020 in his seven other seasons, he's won at least eight games every year. He's won nine games six times in seven years. And he's won 10 games five times in seven seasons. That is unbelievable. And don't and, and also, context matters here. Michigan was not good when he took over. Michigan was not good. Michigan, uh, I think the stat that I looked up earlier on Sunday, three 10-win seasons in 11 years prior to his arrival. It might have even been two. He's got five in seven full seasons at Michigan. I always believed he got a bad rap, and I think he's finally now starting to get the credit he deserves. He's a little bit different. He doesn't do things the traditional way. He says some weird stuff sometimes, but this guy has always been a great football coach, and it is so nice to finally see people admit, you know what? This guy is awesome. Maybe we didn't give him enough credit. What I would say beyond that, now that we're done giving throwing roses at the feet of J.J. McCarthy and the feet of Jim Harbaugh, a couple other things stand out. The first one, and maybe most importantly, I'm just going to say it. It's going to hurt Ohio State fans, but I know that they know that I'm correct on this Monday following the Michigan-Ohio State game. Michigan has officially surpassed Ohio State as the best program in the Big Ten. Now, I'm not saying this can't flip next year, but when you get two wins in a row, when you get two wins over your biggest rival and you go to Columbus, punk Ohio State after they've spent the last year talking about, well, you know, we've spent all this offseason fixing the things that plagued us against Michigan. We changed the offensive line coach. We changed the defensive coordinator. We paid $2 million a year for our defensive coordinator. And then you come out and Michigan does the exact same thing they did a year ago, only in better weather conditions on the road without their star running back, Blake Horn. Guess what? Michigan has surpassed Ohio State. Doesn't mean it can't change back. But right now, that is official. There is no doubt about it. Beyond that, here's my other thought on Michigan. Why does this have to be the ceiling? Why can't, as weird as it sounds, in year eight for Jim Harbaugh, this be the beginning? And let me explain why. One, they've surpassed Ohio State. It's like, it's happened. I don't know how long it's going to be for. Nothing lasts forever in college football. But why can't it be for the foreseeable future? More importantly, here's the deal. If you keep building on this, if you start getting some of those guys that Ohio State couldn't get or that Michigan couldn't get through the years, now you have a 12-team playoff. We're even in a down year, which for Michigan has been 10-3 and under Jim Harbaugh. Even in a down year, you're going to make the playoff. So what we have now is a scenario where when we go to 12 teams, as long as Jim Harbaugh is there, they're basically going to be an automatic entry. Now they're the best program. Now they're a top four seed. Now they play one less game. All of a sudden, it looks that much better. And that's in the future, by the way. That's not even talking about this year where, look, outside of Georgia, who do you really fear 
And it's not as though I don't think that Michigan can play with Georgia if they meet again. Georgia's not perfect. Georgia's not unbeatable like they were a season ago, even though they're undefeated. So credit to Michigan, credit to Jim Harbaugh, incredible victory for him. Michigan, like it or not, is officially the best program in college in, in the Big Ten. And more importantly, I think the best is yet to come. All right, this is what I want to do. Before we get to the coaching carousel stuff, want to take a quick break, just do some quick reaction on some other results from Saturday, USC, Notre Dame, Clemson losing, LSU losing, and kind of just reset up the playoff picture because I do think it is very interesting. We have four teams that as of today very much deserve to be in the playoff, but if one of them loses this weekend, what does that mean next? We're going to discuss it all. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. Listen, by now I've told you the story. Started in 1967 in the UK, over 1,600 shops in the UK, and they have come to the United States and made a major splash. They are the presenting sponsor of the Cincinnati Bengals, the Denver Broncos, the Colorado Rockies. Oh, by the way, Aaron Torres Media and the Aaron Torres Pod. And what I love about Betfred, nobody does more for their betters than Betfred does. What are they doing for you this week? Well, how about this? You bet 50 on any game, you get 250 in free bets courtesy of the Betfred Sportsbook. So you want to bet on college football, conference championships, NFL, college basketball, bet on anything. Doesn't matter. Betfred doesn't care. New users bet 50 on any game. And you get 250 in free bets, courtesy of the Betfred Sportsbook. It is the best sportsbook, the only sportsbook that I work with. And I love working with Betfred. They are the presenting sponsor of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, everybody, I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears and do want to kind of get to some of the some of the other results outside of Ohio State, Michigan on Saturday, because obviously Ohio State, Michigan, it had huge ramifications in terms of the playoff, in terms of the national championship picture, in terms of the rivalry, the Big Ten, et cetera. But there were other games that had huge, huge, huge ramifications as well. And so I want to hit on two or three results that are going to impact our conversations on the college football playoff, the national championship. And I'm not going to spend really a ton of time on any of these games, but I do kind of want to hit on them briefly just to kind of give you an overview of what happened and what it all means in the bigger picture. Let's start with a game that was going on at the same time as Michigan, Ohio state. Many of you probably missed it because Michigan, Ohio state was such compelling theater, but I do really quickly want to hit on Clemson, South Carolina as Clemson came in with quite a bit to play for. They had already clinched their spot in the ACC championship game, but as we discussed on on the show last week, the bottom line was Clemson, as my buddy John Rothstein would say, they were really coming into this weekend in position to be in position, which basically means that they weren't in probably the top four just yet, but if they won out, 
if they beat South Carolina and they beat North Carolina in next week's ACC championship game, they had a very compelling shot to be in the playoff picture, especially if either TCU or, or USC or frankly LSU, who we'll talk about in a minute, lost ahead of them. Well, that is no longer an issue because Clemson on Saturday lost at home to its rival South Carolina 31-30. to Now, in terms of the, 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 the rivalry itself, first of all, let's give a little credit to South Carolina. Um, this is their first win over Clemson since 2013, and I just got to take another L. I just took an L on J.J. McCarthy a minute ago. I got to take an L on South Carolina head coach Shane Beamer because he was a guy I never really bought into the hype. I think he's one of these guys that seems easy to like, that the media likes. He does stuff that goes super viral. He took the Mayo bath a few weeks or last year after the bowl game. He does stuff that like, you know, he just seems like a guy that everybody likes. But what I've always said was, show me the wins that matter, right? Last year, it was you beat uh, you beat Florida a week before the Florida fires Dan Mullen. You beat Auburn when they're in the midst of melting down under Brian Harson. This year, you beat Kentucky without Will Levis. Where are the wins that matter? Well, the last two weeks matter. You knock off Tennessee. Tennessee, of course, I don't think is really much in the playoff picture anymore. We'll discuss that in a minute. And then to beat your rival Clemson with everything on the line, this is everything that is great about rivalry games. So credit to South Carolina. But the story here is obviously Clemson, right? With the loss, they're out of the playoff picture. They're going to finish with 11 wins. Frankly, I don't know who the best win is on their resume right now. Um, you know, now obviously, look, they're going to play a, uh, a North Carolina team next week that's in the top 25. That would be like a nice win, but you're sitting at 10 and 2. Um, you know, you have one win over, or, or you know, your best win is probably over a 9 and 3 Florida State team. And so even if you beat South Carolina, you're just not going to have enough of a resume to really warrant serious consideration for a playoff berth. So to me, it's credit to South Carolina because you not only beat your rival, but you beat your rival with real stakes. And listen, I think there's some big picture uh, questions about Clemson that we need to discuss in the offseason. I don't know that today is the day to do the deep dive on them. But Dabo really butchered this situation, man, because when you look at what happened against against South Carolina on Saturday, Clemson finished with 99 yards passing against South Carolina. Keep in mind, by the way, Notre Dame. Their quarterback, Drew Pine, who was awful all year, had 300 yards passing against USC. And so I just bring it up because if you're Clemson and you're playing for a playoff, I just think Dabo totally screwed up the quarterback situation. We've been talking about the quarterback situation since Labor Day weekend when Cade Klubnick got in the game late against Georgia Tech on Labor Day night. And we said, well, that guy's going to be the guy at some point. Dabo never makes the move. He makes a quick switch against Syracuse to get a win. And the fact that he never just turned it over full-time to Cade Klubnik, I truly believe it is going to cost them a playoff berth and potentially a shot to compete for a national championship. Now, were they good enough to win one this year? I don't know. Probably not. But when you have the better quarterback on the bench and you choose not to play him, that's on you as the head coach. And I think what's especially interesting about that, and I, I swore I wasn't going to go on the Clemson tangent here, but you recruited Cade Klubnik knowing that next year he's the guy anyway. And so if he's going to be the guy this year, what are you waiting for? DJ, I don't think, is coming back to Clemson. He came to Clemson to be a three and done. He's not the guy. He's had two years to prove it. I just think Dabo totally screwed it up. So we'll have that conversation maybe here in the next couple of weeks as the portal stuff figures itself out. 
I thought Saturday was a bad, bad, bad day for Clemson, a bad day for Dabo. You know who else it was a bad day for? The LSU Fighting Tigers. LSU goes to Texas A&M for the season finale. Now, I would say their college football playoff chances were pretty limited. Even if you beat Georgia next week, I I think you probably need some help along the way. But you go to uh, Texas A&M, and it is not even competitive as Texas A&M picks up its best win of the season, top five victory, 38-23 to over LSU. And what I don't want to do over the next few minutes, I'm not going to bash LSU, right? Brian Kelly, year one, they win the West. They're ahead of schedule. You can you can like Brian Kelly, not like Brian Kelly. They're ahead of schedule. Let's just give a quick credit to Texas A&M, okay? And listen, what I'm not going to do, I'm not going to like do, again, what I just said with Michigan. I'm not throwing rose petals at Jimbo Fisher's feet. I'm not saying he's incredible. I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that. But the bottom line is pretty straightforward. One, you get a great win to head into the offseason with. And two, like Texas A&M did deal with real adversity. One of the youngest teams in college football this year, they were down to their third string quarterback by Saturday night, Connor Wegman, who looks awesome and looks to be the future. Uh, your best wide receiver, Anaya Smith, was lost early. You lose a couple key defensive players. You lose a couple, a couple starting offensive linemen. And so I'm not here to defend Jimbo Fisher. When you make $9 million a year, you got to be better than 5-7. and seven. You got to win some of the games that you lost including to a a good but not great Florida team. South Carolina, you kind of caught them at the right time, probably should have won that one. Then you get to a bowl game, then you have more practices, then you really gear up for next season. But for Texas A&M fans, it's been a long year with injuries. It's been a long year with the public perception of the program. And so I'm going to let them have a moment. Enjoy the moment, A&M fans. Get ready for the offseason. Jimbo Fisher, go find yourself an offensive coordinator. Re-recruit the roster that you have. And as many people speculated, Get ready, because there's going to be a lot of hype again on AM coming into the 2023 season. Not saying it's justified, not saying it isn't, but credit to the Aggies for getting that win. Really quickly, last result that really mattered on Saturday. Uh, USC took care of business against Notre Dame. USC is now 11-1. and USC is playing Utah in the Pac-12 championship game to go to the college football playoff. And look, I've already done the rant on how incredible Lincoln Riley is. So let me do a quick rant on how incredible Caleb Williams is, okay? And I talked about this on last Monday's show. Uh, I've been hesitant to kind of credit Caleb Williams with too much. I kept saying, let's see what he does in the big games. Let's see in the games that matter. Well, Saturday night, 232 yards passing, one touchdown, three rushing touchdowns for Caleb Williams. And this guy's going to win the Heisman Trophy. Now, I think, I hope that a Blake Corum, I hope that a Hendon Hooker gets to go to New York. I don't know what Caleb Williams can do to lose the Heisman Trophy going into going into this Friday night when USC will play Utah in Vegas in the Pac-12 championship game. When I look at Caleb Williams, he is your Heisman Trophy favorite, and I think deservedly so. The bottom line is, to me, it's not just the stats on Caleb Williams, and the stats, by the way, are incredible. Following Saturday night, he is now complete uh, close to 4,000 yards passing on the season, 34 touchdowns, 35 touchdowns, plus the rushing touchdowns. He's been incredible. But what I say about Caleb Williams is what I said last week, is that when you look at Caleb Williams, why it's important, why he deserves to be the Heisman Trophy winner is because it's not just that he's putting up stats. It's that his team needs Everything that he is doing. Talked about it last Monday. I'll reiterate really quick. Last night, or Saturday night against Notre Dame, defense gives up 27 points. Last week against UCLA, defense gives up 45 points. 
Week before, Colorado, worst team in the FBS. Week before that, 35 to Cal, 37 to Arizona, 43 to Utah. So in the final six games of the season, the defense gave up 27 or more points five times and 35 or more points four times. Point being, Caleb Williams hasn't just been good. Every single pass that he has made, USC has needed, basically, USC has needed him to be great every single night. It's not just that he has been great. It is that if he isn't great, USC isn't in the position that they're in. So credit to USC, which will now play for a Pac-12 title and a trip to it. The playoff in Lincoln Riley's first year, unbelievable. Lincoln Riley probably should be your national coach of the year. Really quickly, let's just reset the playoff picture going into this week. And what I would say is, first of all, I think there's a really interesting debate going on right now about the playoff. I don't think it's going to happen, but I think it's an interesting debate. That debate is this. There is nobody going into this weekend that can play their way into the playoff. There are only teams that can lose. So in other words, there's no, there's five conference championship games. There's no conference championship game where if this team wins, they're going to sneak in at number three or number four. All that can happen is the four teams that are currently in position can lose. And there is an interesting debate about should a team be penalized for losing this weekend when they're playing extra games that other teams aren't? So it's an interesting debate. I don't think it's going to matter because I do think there are, are at this point two teams that have clinched playoff spots, two teams that are in if they win next weekend. In terms of the playoff picture, I would say that Saturday, you know, look, with Saturday, Clemson's out, right? You lose twice in the ACC, you're not getting in. LSU is obviously out. I thought they would have needed to beat Georgia to even be in the conversation, and I wasn't sold they would get in if they did beat Georgia. Now it doesn't matter. Even if LSU wins, they're not going to the playoff. I think that there are two teams that, no matter what happens, are definitively in this coming week. One is Georgia. Two is Michigan. Even if Georgia loses, they have wins now against Tennessee, which is a 10-win team. They have win, a win against South Carolina that all of a sudden looks pretty good. Remember, South Carolina, with their wins the last two weeks, are now going to finish with eight wins. They, of course, Georgia beat Oregon in week one, which struggled down the stretch but finished with nine wins. And so you look at Georgia, there's nothing they can do to not get in. Michigan, based on the strength of the Ohio State win, Ohio State, keep in mind, is right on the edge of being in themselves. So you can't put in Ohio State even if Michigan, you can't put in Ohio State without putting in Michigan, even if Michigan loses. So I think that Georgia and Michigan, no matter what happens, they're in the college football playoff. Where it gets more interesting is TCU and USC. USC, let's just be blunt. If they lose on Saturday, it'll be hard to make a debate for Friday. It'll be hard to make a debate for them. They're playing Utah. If they lose twice to Utah, they're very clearly not the best team in their conference. It's hard to make a debate. TCU is kind of interesting. TCU is 12-0. They've beaten everybody on the schedule, obviously everybody in the Big 12, but they play a Kansas State team that they trailed early in that game. And if they lose, they'll be 12 and one, but they won't be a conference champ. And I don't know what the committee does. Now, the thing that TCU has going for it, there aren't a lot of really good options outside of TCU and USC for spots number three and four. Deal with it, people. I'm just telling you it's going to happen. If, if one of those two teams loses, I think Ohio State gets in. I'm not saying I like it. I'm not saying I hate it. I actually do hate it, but I don't think if either one of those teams loses, Ohio State's getting in. Alabama at 10 and 2 has a legitimate argument. You already heard Nick Saban making the statement, making the case on Saturday, two last second losses to Tennessee and LSU. Alabama's not as far out of the playoff picture as people think either. 
And I'll say this. I think Tennessee actually has a legitimate argument. Now, the committee will hold it against Tennessee that Hendon Hooker is not available. But I don't know how you can put Tennessee, Alabama in over Tennessee when Tennessee has the head-to-head win over Alabama. So the point I'm trying to make is this is what I think is going to happen. Georgia, Michigan win there in no matter what. TCU, I think that's kind of the inflection point. And I think USC, if they win, they're in. If they lose, they're out. Ohio State, I believe, would be the first team to get serious consideration in Alabama next. And I'll tell you this. I really hope TCU and USC take care of business because they're the only teams that are deserving, right? Ohio State, you have one game on your schedule that really matters. You get boat raced at home. I'm sorry. I'm not sympathetic if you don't get in. And Alabama, you kind of slept walk through most of the regular season. It's not only, by the way, that Alabama lost on the final play to Tennessee and LSU. Keep in mind, had to survive on the final play against Texas A&M, had to survive with under 30 seconds left against Ole Miss, had to survive against Texas. I'm sorry. I don't want to see those teams in the playoff. I just want to do take a quick break, come back. And when I do, we have some college football coaching carousel stuff to get to a ton to discuss more chaos at Auburn coach prime interesting debate there. And how about Wisconsin out of nowhere pulling Luke fickle, take a quick break. Be right back. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute, but before we do, I want to welcome back bracket fanatics, the sponsor of our Aaron Torres pod NFL pick them challenge by now. You know the story on Bracket Fanatics. We've worked with them for years with the NCAA tournament. This year, Bracket Fanatics has decided to do NFL, and specifically, they are, again, the presenting sponsor of the Aaron Torres Pod NFL Pick'em Challenge. For those of you who are not signed up, it is not too late. Here is all you got to do. Go to BracketFanatics.com, click the Join Bracket tab, do that. The bracket is named Torres, and you're automatically signed up. You're automatically entered once you click that Join Bracket tab. What can you win when you enter? Well, it's pretty straightforward. We are giving away a $1,000 season-long cash prize. And more importantly, for those of you who have not signed up, $100 weekly winners in the Aaron Torres Pod NFL Pick'em Challenge as well presented by Bracket Fanatics. So if you have not signed up, go to BracketFanatics.com, click the Join Bracket tab. The bracket is named Torres. All you got to do, go there, make your picks, win or lose, and we are giving out $100 weekly to one lucky winner and a $1,000 season-long cash prize, BracketFanatics.com. We will announce last week's winner later in the week. Go to BracketFanatics.com, join Bracket, Bracket named Torres, automatically entered to win $100 weekly cash prizes and, of course, the $1,000 season-long cash prize. All right, everybody, I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to go ahead and wrap with a little bit of college football coaching carousel news. A lot of college football coaching carousel news either. And it's for one simple reason. This weekend right here, this one that you just finished Thanksgiving weekend, it's really the one where all of the craziness comes to fruition on the carousel. The reason that schools 
are now firing coaches in September and October is because they need to have coaches in place by the end of November because the transfer portal recruiting cycle and the national signing day are back to back. And to build a roster for the next season, you really have to have a guy in place by just about right now after the final week of the regular season. It was literally a year ago that Lincoln Riley left for USC. Remember, Brian Kelly leaves for LSU the Monday after the regular season when Notre Dame still has a chance to make the college football playoff. So this is the weekend where all the craziness happens, and we've already seen quite a bit of craziness so far. Nebraska has named its head coach. We'll talk about that momentarily. Same with Arizona State. A shocker at Wisconsin. And also some very interesting things going on at Colorado, which we're going to talk about momentarily. But where I want to start, where I want to go, where we are going to begin is at Auburn. Because there is a saying at Auburn, just Auburn being Auburn, J-A-B-A. And what that essentially means is that there is constant craziness all the time. Chaos is the norm at Auburn. And that is certainly the case with this coaching carousel search, which started about three, four weeks ago when Brian Harson was fired. The last time we updated you, Auburn had clearly found who their lead candidate was. He said no. And then on top of that, we had a follow-up in which they had their new lead candidate. Just one problem. Auburn can't figure out what it wants. Their new lead candidate might not be the guy. And so it is absolute chaos right now. Let's break it down. Let's talk about it. Let me start by saying this. The lead candidate, the one that they wanted, we all know was Lane Kiffin. And I told you a few days ago before I went on my little Thanksgiving hiatus, I said, look, I don't think Lane Kiffin's going to be the guy. I've said from the beginning, I thought that he was leveraging Auburn to get bigger money and more of what he wants at Ole Miss, just like he did last year at LSU, Florida, Miami, where he was a candidate for all of them, and he ends up staying at Ole Miss. Well, what ended up happening all week long, there's back and forth. Lane Kiffin denies. He says he's planning on staying at Ole Miss. On Saturday morning, it becomes official as he signs an eight-year contract that will pay him $9 million a year. For those of you wondering, yes, by Mississippi state law, as we have discussed many times, state employees can only sign four-year contracts. They found some workaround. It's apparently being paid through the school's foundation as opposed to the school itself. Regardless, Lane Kiffin isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And so with the news that Lane Kiffin was no longer going to be the guy, The latest come early Saturday was that they had focused on Hugh Freeze and that Hugh Freeze was believed to be the guy who was set to be the next Auburn head coach. His candidacy, we've talked about quite a bit. Listen, he's been on this show, full disclosure. He told me on this show, yes, the bottom line is there are certain jobs that I would listen to. He listed some criteria, and while he didn't name Auburn specifically, and I didn't ask him about Auburn specifically, uh, it seemed as though Auburn would be one of the jobs that he would be interested in. Well, just one problem, because just a few hours after his name becomes official, a couple things happen. One, Liberty loses. Who cares? Whatever. You lose. It doesn't ultimately matter. Two, beyond that, he says that, yes, Auburn is a school that I would listen to, But they haven't offered me anything yet, and until then, I'm the Liberty head coach. Well, on Sunday, this is really where the craziness happened. As Auburn, remember about three, four years ago when Tennessee tried to hire Greg Schiano, and there was kind of a fan revolt, a fan uprising? I wouldn't call what is happening at Auburn exactly that per se necessarily, 
but there is a very vocal group of Auburn fans that do not want Hugh Freeze. There's a very gro- vocal group of fans that do want him. They are publicly fighting on message boards and social media and whatever. And now this Hugh Freeze thing, as I record here about 7, 7.30 Eastern time on Sunday, could change by the time you listen. Hugh Freeze or someone else could be the next head coach, but it is very much in jeopardy. So what are Auburn fans fighting about? Well, frankly, it's a a bunch of stuff that you already know and maybe some stuff that you don't know, some stuff that I just learned here over the last couple days, last couple hours. First, there are the Auburn fans that aren't comfortable with the way things ended at Ole Miss. I've talked about it a million times. You don't need me to tell you. I have no insight that you do not know. But if you do a quick Google search, a quick Wikipedia search, well, we know that Hugh Freeze was fired at Ole Miss for hiring escorts while he was the head coach at Ole Miss. Certainly not behavior I condone, certainly not behavior that I think is befitting of a you know high-profile football coach, but at the same time, as I've said many times, look, it was six years ago, he made a mistake, and the bottom line is, in that space, it's not my business to judge, okay? I've said it many times. His wife appears to have forgiven him. His children appear to have forgiven him. It is not my place to speculate on What's right? What's wrong? What's this? What's that? If his children forgive him, if his wife forgives him, I I think he should be allowed to coach football, which he is doing at a very high level at Liberty. What happened on Sunday, though, is a couple other stories kind of came out that, that had, I guess, were public, but maybe not as well known. And it is giving, again, some of the Auburn faction, or at least some of the Auburn fans, some pushback as to whether Hugh Free should be the guy or not. One, it involves a sexual assault allegation on campus. Um, Apparently, uh, Coach Freeze, there were some screenshots shared that he DM'd one of the people involved in it. And what I would tell you, I don't think that's very smart behavior. The DMs are cut off. We don't know very much about it, but those DMs were shared over the last day or so. And again, giving Auburn some concern, some whatever, 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 whatever. The screenshots, by the way, are not new. They're from like July. They've been out there. But of course, when you're about to potentially be the face of a high profile SEC school, this stuff comes to fruition. Beyond that, there were also some reports that resurfaced of stuff that Hugh Freeze was accused of in the past. I'm not even going to begin to speculate on that. It was while he was a high school football coach decades ago. Uh, He's denied it. The school that employed him denied it. And so that is not my space to do so. Here's the problem, though, as it pertains to this. The latest per multiple reports is that Auburn and Hugh Freeze's camp have basically not been in touch in in several hours. And so this goes from he's the favorite, it could be finished very soon, to now, as of midday Sunday, they haven't been in touch And I think what's going to get very interesting going forward is what happens next. Now, before we get into what happens next, I do want to say one very important thing. For any Auburn fan that is concerned about the stuff that has come up, listen, I'm not here to tell you how you should feel, how you shouldn't feel. But one thing does come to mind for me when I see all these accusations and rumors and innuendo and this and that. This is why you hire a search firm, okay? And so for people who don't follow college sports religiously, over the last couple, you know, decades or the last decade or so, search firms have really become a very important part of the coaching carousel and basically a school before they hire an AD, frankly, before they hire a president and certainly before they hire a high profile coach in any sport, they hire a search firm. And the search firm's job is to, to go into the guy or girl's background, do research, do homework, 
What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? And is there anything that we don't know about? And so why I'm not going to sit here and crush Hugh Freeze or anybody else for that matter is because Auburn hired a search firm. And if the search firm did their job, then my guess is if Hugh Freeze was the favorite post lane Kiffin, then the search firm probably didn't find anything that was all that scandalous. Previous reports, previous rumors, previous innuendos, previous whatever, stuff that is public. And so to me, again, this is why I'm not going to go accusing people of certain things. This is why you hire a search firm. This is why you pay hundreds of thousands of dollars. What I do think is very interesting, though, is what comes next at Auburn. And what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, again, we talked about it. J-A-B-A, Jabba, just Auburn being Auburn. This is why there's constant chaos. This is why people don't want the head coaching job. This is why people don't want the AD job. And so if you're John Cohen, the new AD, this is your first big test, right? Remember what happened the last time Auburn tried to hire a head coach. The AD, the, the AD fires Gus Malzahn. The boosters try to hire somebody. The AD says, no, I'm in charge. I'm making my hire with Brian Harson. And that's really when all the chaos started, Okay. And so if you're John Cohen, this is your moment to kind of stand up and say, no, 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 no. I'm taking control of this. I'm doing it my way. I have hired the search firm. I know what the search firm says. And if I believe this is the best candidate, then I am going to go ahead and hire this person. If I don't believe he's the best candidate, I'm going to look elsewhere. But to me, this is where the AD, you get paid a lot of money. You got to wear your big boy pants and do what is needed in this exact situation right here. If you believe he is the best guy, go get him. If not, go get somebody else, but you can't sit around. You can't wait. You can't let Twitter and message boards dictate what you do or do not do. The second thing that I keep coming back to, and I say this all the time, this happens all the time in coaching searches, but at the end of the day, you know what? None of this will matter if one simple thing happens, if you win. And there is a reason that Hugh Freeze is the favorite to be the Auburn head coach, or at least he was as of midday Saturday. It's because of the fact that Hugh Freeze is the only candidate that is now available. Obviously, Lane Kiffin is out. That has won at the highest levels of the SEC. You don't need me to tell you again, but he beat Alabama twice, beat Georgia in his final year when Kirby Smart got there, went to back-to-back Sugar Bowls. This guy is going to win. And so I know there is a very vocal minority, or at least a, a vocal group. I don't want to say a minority, but a vocal group of Auburn fans that do not want this. Okay, that's your prerogative. That's your decision. But if you're winning game. If you win eight, if you win nine, if you win 10 next year, if you beat Alabama, if you beat Georgia, whoever, nobody is going to care. So John Cohen, if he, you think he's the right guy, don't listen, do the job, do the job that you were hired for. What I would finally say, if it's not Hugh Freeze, this is where it gets really interesting because here's what I can tell you that I know about the Auburn coaching search. I can tell you this for sure. I know that Lane Kiffin was the number one guy. That's not really new information. I'm not breaking any news. I know that if they didn't get Lane Kiffin, Hugh Freeze was the number two, and they anticipated Hugh Freeze being the guy. And they really have no plan C because they knew that Hugh Freeze was going to say yes if they offered him the job. Well, now, as we record, we're in this weird holding pattern where nobody really knows and nobody's for sure and nothing's certain. But why I bring it up is because of the fact that right now, we don't even know who a plan C would be. Lane Kiffin was plan A. They weren't supposed to have to worry about anything beyond plan B because Hugh Freeze was a slam dunk. Said it on this show. Certain p- jobs he was interested in. Said it after the, the game itself on Saturday. 
that Auburn is a place he'd be interested in if they offered. So now it's on Auburn. It'll be interesting to see. And I'll tell you this, a couple things. One, I don't think Hugh Freeze is going to wait around forever. If he does not think that he's getting a fair shake from the school after everything they've done over the past couple weeks, he's going to pull his name out of consideration. Two, Auburn, don't mess around. Make this decision. If Freeze is the guy, go get him. If he isn't, then go ahead and move on to your next candidate. You can't waste more time. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, let's get to some of the schools that actually did hire coaches over the course of the weekend. Uh, And really, you know, kind of three that I kind of want to focus on here as we await to find out what happened at Auburn and as we await some very interesting news at Colorado, which I'll discuss in a minute. But three jobs were filled over the course of this weekend at the Power 5 level as Nebraska, Wisconsin, and we're going to talk about that one, and Arizona State all have new head coaches. Really quickly, some thoughts on each. First of all, Nebraska, listen, we've talked about not only the Nebraska job, but Matt Rule as a potential candidate for the Nebraska job. We've talked about this one for months now. The day that the Nebraska job opened in early September, mid-September, I said I thought Matt Rule should be their number one candidate. And after he does get fired by the Carolina Panthers, he ends up with the Cornhuskers. And I just say bravo, Trev Alberts. For those of you not watching on YouTube, I am giving the little clapping applause Because I just think, you know, listen, this is about as good as it gets. And I I understand that nothing is perfect and you never know. And with Matt Rule, he is going to make a ton of money from the Carolina Panthers. He is going to get a big contract here. It's his second go around in college. And is he really going to be motivated or inspired? And oh, by the way, Nebraska is like not an easy job at all. But at the same time, and I've said this all along. If you want to argue that, you know, he's just a little bit older, he's made his money, he's not going to be as invested as he was when he was young, that's fine. But what this guy has done as a college football coach is unbelievable, and I can't believe that anybody is actually calling into question whether he's the right guy or not. I've said it before, I'll say it again, 10 wins in year three at Temple, 11 wins in year three at Baylor. Remember, he takes over the dumpster fire that Art Briles left behind. Art Bryles is gone. Matt Rule, 1-11 in year one. Bowl game in year two. 11-1 in year three. Playing to go to the college football playoff in the Big 12 championship game before they ultimately lost. So is this guy going to work? I don't know. But with the portal, with his ties to the Texas area, I think he has a chance to be really good. And as I've said a hundred times, and maybe we do Matt Rule more in depth at some point, I do think in the new world of the transfer portal, NIL, and most importantly, the 12-team college football playoff, I think Nebraska's a better job than it was even five, six years ago when Scott Frost took over. Um, I've said it many times. You know, If we had had a 12-team playoff all along, 
There were years where Iowa would have got in, where Wisconsin, which we'll talk about in a second, would have got in, where Minnesota would have even gotten in one year potentially. And so if those programs can have the year every couple seasons where they win 10 or 11 games and compete for a playoff berth, I think it can happen at Nebraska as well. Credit to Nebraska, credit to Matt Rule. This was the guy, this should be the guy, and give them credit for going out and getting him. Speaking of giving you credit, how about the stunner on Sunday morning when we all woke up and saw who was going to be the next Wisconsin head coach? Pete Thamel was the first guy that I saw with the report that Wisconsin was talking to Cincinnati head coach or former Cincinnati head coach Luke Fickle. And I'll tell you this, when Pete Thamel not only tweets it, but he puts out a corresponding article. What that means to me is that it's done. It's just a matter of dotting the I's and crossing the T's. That is exactly what happened as in the stunner of all stunners. Luke Fickle, who again led Cincinnati to the college football playoff last year, is headed to Wisconsin. So this is shocking to me for a number of reasons. First of all, I think everybody kind of knows Luke Fickle's story, right? But he was a longtime Ohio State player, a longtime assistant coach. He was the guy that was the interim head coach the year that Jim Tressel was fired, but before Urban Meyer was hired. And so the story with Luke Fickle was always that after he dealt with kind of that in-between year, Ohio State goes six and six, and he saw what the pressure cooker of coaching at a super high profile school was like. Many people thought he was very comfortable at Cincinnati. And really the only jobs that could potentially interest him were either Notre Dame or Ohio state. Basically that he had seen what it was like to coach at the highest level. He loved Ohio state. It was his alma mater. He was from the Midwest. He would consider Notre Dame, but that he wasn't going to be a candidate for LSU or some of the sec jobs, USC, whatever. And instead that he was just kind of going to kind of stay at Cincinnati for the time being until he saw something better. So the fact that he left Cincinnati for not Ohio State, not Notre Dame, not even like a Penn State or a Michigan, but Wisconsin, that one is a stunner to me. Now, a couple thoughts on why it could have happened. We'll get a press conference at some point where he gives some more details. But a couple things. I think, one, there comes a time, and we talk about this a lot, where you just feel like you've reached your ceiling as a head coach at a certain school or a certain place or in life. There are times that you you feel like you've hit your ceiling at a certain job and that it's time to move on, that it's time for a new challenge, and that it's time to do something different. Luke Fickle coming off the college football playoff appearance last year, seeing how far away Cincinnati was from really competing with Alabama. Did he maybe just say, you know what? It's time for a new challenge. It's time to go somewhere where I'm going to have a little bit more money, some more resources, some more availability, can recruit maybe a slightly higher athlete, although we'll talk about the negative side of that in a minute. Is it possible that Luke Fickle just said, I need to try something else? If he did, good for him. Never going to question somebody's willingness to kind of move up the ladder or take on a new challenge in life. We've talked about that a lot with Brian Kelly this year, with Lincoln Riley, et cetera, and I credit Luke Fickle for that. I think the other possibility is in this new world of college football, you just never know what is going on behind the scenes. Maybe Luke Fickle thought that Cincinnati, it's kind of a commuter-ish school in a city. They're headed to the Big 12, remember? 
Are they a great geographical fit? Is he still going to be able to recruit kids out of Ohio that want to go play in Texas and Oklahoma during the conference season? Maybe he felt like he didn't like the move to the Big 12. Maybe he felt like the NIL setup or whatever at Cincinnati wasn't what it needed to be. Again, these are questions that he will probably answer in the coming days. And then three, I do think the Big Ten stuff is a factor. The money that these Big Ten schools are going to get, one, He's going to get paid a lot more money, and he was already really highly paid at Cincinnati. He's going to have a bigger pool for assistant coaches, a bigger pool for support staff, everything that he is going to need, things that he frankly just couldn't get at Cincinnati when, um, you know, when they even when they make the move to the Big 12, financially he will not be able to compete at the highest level. He's about 50 years old, and maybe he feels like, you know what, it's time for me to try to compete at the highest level. So I think those are the factors why he did. It is still surprising, though, because, again, it felt like there was three, maybe four jobs all in the Midwest, the upper tier Big Ten jobs. And oh, by the way, Notre Dame. And outside of that, was he really going to consider anything else? Finally, what I would say is why it's so shocking to me is pretty straightforward. I was texting my buddy Jason Martin about this. Why it doesn't make sense is just why I'm surprised. I don't know if it makes sense. It's not my place to say if it makes sense or not. Why I'm surprised, though, is because. I don't know that Wisconsin's ceiling is really that much higher than Cincinnati's. I don't know that in even the new world of college football, 12-team playoff, I don't think Cincinnati's going to win a national championship in our lifetime. I don't think Wisconsin's going to win a national championship in our lifetime too. So that was why I was so shocked was the idea that you're really trading in one school where I don't think you can win at the highest level for another that you can't win at the highest level. Maybe his thought is Wisconsin, it's the Big Ten, but I don't have that day-to-day pressure of Ohio State, of Michigan, et cetera. Just a thought. I don't really know, but this one was fascinating. Last one that became official on Sunday. Kenny Dillingham, the Oregon State, or the Oregon offensive coordinator, was named the head coach at Arizona State. Most of you probably don't know much about him. I'd be lying if I said I know his resume inside and out. But how about this? He's the youngest Power 5 head coach in America. You want to feel old. He was born in 1990, but he is an Arizona State alum. He is from the Phoenix area. Obviously, Oregon's offense blew up this year. And I'll tell you, I actually do like the hire. Now, is it going to work? Is it not going to work? I don't know. But one thing when the Arizona State job opened up, one thing we talked about on this show, I said, you know, Arizona State really is a good job if they get the right guy. The recruiting in Arizona, Arizona produces more players than you realize. Spencer Rattler, uh, Keely Ringo, the star cornerback at Georgia. There's some players at USC. There's some players at UCLA. A lot of really good players come out of Arizona. It is a big, growing city with a lot of money. And more importantly, it's a mega, huge alumni base. I think Arizona State has something like 60,000 undergrads. And so everyone's always said it, it has this potential. But I do think it's going to take the right guy. And I think he might be the right guy. Because what I am telling you is if you can figure out a way to keep the best players in Arizona and more importantly, get the people in the city and the alumni base, which is massive behind you, I think you can make this work. I think you can turn this into a legitimate program, especially as always in the portal era. Now, the NIL is a little bit behind, but in the portal era, you don't think kids want to go to Tempe and live for a year or two or three. So it's going to take the right guy. I never thought Herm Edwards was the right fit, but this could work at Arizona State. Will it? I don't know. I also think, remember, the Pac-12 going forward is not going to have USC. So again, in a 12-team playoff era, 
Could they be the Pac-12 champ and make a college football playoff? I think so. The recruiting base is there. The finances need to get there. But if you need a guy to unite everybody, an Arizona alum or Arizona State alum, a Phoenix native, I think this is a really, really good hire for Arizona State. All right, there is one last piece of coaching carousel news that we probably do need to discuss before we get out of here. And it involves really uh, America's favorite coaching candidate, the guy that everybody is curious about, everybody wants to see at the Power Five level. I'm, of course, talking about Deion Sanders. It's been another successful year on the field for Deion. We've talked a ton about him really over the last two, three, four months, but it's been a really successful season on the field for Deion. Jackson State just completed an 11-0 regular season. This after an 11-2 season a year ago, meaning that he's 22-2 at his last 24 games as a head coach. Uh, Oh, by the way, one of the losses was to a FBS school, Jackson State is obviously in the FCS. And so this guy, on top of being a pro football Hall of Famer, an all-time great, is turning into a heck of a college football coach. Now, just because he's been a heck of a college football coach, it has not translated to a ton of opportunities at the highest level. We know over the last few years he's interviewed at places like TCU and Arkansas, even if he hasn't ultimately got it. And it's for a few different reasons as to why maybe he's being considered, why maybe he isn't. There was a report from Brett McMurphy He used to run a high school named Prime Prep. They had some academic problems. Some school presidents are concerned about it. But the news that I want to get to about Dion, and this is pretty important, is that for all intents and purposes, as best we know, he got his first official Power 5 head coaching offer over the weekend. It is a job that my understanding is, and everybody's understanding, is the offer is on the table. If he wants it, he can take it, and it comes from the University of Colorado. That is right. Colorado has been out of a, they they fired Carl Durrell a few months ago. It is a program that has a ton of great history, but clearly has been kind of on the outside looking in of major college football over the last two, two and a half decades, really since their glory run in the eighties, nineties, and early two thousands. So over the weekend, Bruce Feldman did report that Deion Sanders has been offered the head coaching job at Colorado. And now the question is what's next? What's next for Colorado? What's next for Deion Sanders? And let's be blunt. Does he take it? And is Coach Prime coming to a Power 5 school, more specifically a Pac-12 school, near you soon? Now, in terms of the opportunity itself, listen, I think we got to reiterate everything that we've said about Deion Sanders over the last couple years. And to sit here and say he's going to take it, he's not going to take it, what does it all mean? The bottom line is... Dion, as we've discussed, is unlike any candidate in college football right now, okay? As we just discussed with Luke Fickle a minute ago, the goal for most head coaches and the goal for most people in life, this isn't a knock on football coaches, is to climb the ladder, get the biggest job with the highest profile where you can make the most possible money and call it a career and maybe you have success and maybe you don't, maybe you get fired and maybe you don't. But that's the goal of most college football coaches and I don't blame them, right? Provide for your family, make money, coach at the highest level, et cetera. For Dion, we don't really know what his end game in coaching is, right? Um, as I've said many times, money is not an issue for him. Now, everybody wants to make more money, but he's not a guy that if he doesn't get a four, five, six, ten million dollar a year head coaching job, uh, that he's going to be scraping between the couch cushions for money. And so why Dion is so tough to peg as a candidate is because we don't really know what his end game is. Is it to coach at the highest level? Is it to make the most money? Is it to impact the most kids? Is it to build up an HBCU? And if that is his goal, good for him and stay at Jackson State and and, and keep doing the incredible things that you're doing. 
So that's what makes it tough to really gauge. Is he interested? Is he not interested? Will he take it? Will he won't? But on top of Bruce Feldman reporting that Dion has been offered the job, Dion, according to Bruce Feldman, is interested and is willing to listen as this process plays out. And so I think the next question becomes, is he going to take it? What are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? And what we need to know going forward? In terms of why I think he'd take the job, there's a couple reasons why. There's only so many Power 5 jobs out there, right? And especially now, especially off of a Sunday in which the uh, Colorado or the, uh, excuse me, the Arizona State, Wisconsin and Nebraska jobs filled, there really aren't that many of these things left at the highest level. And so if you don't take this one, if you don't feel like this is the right one for you, you're probably not going to get another opportunity for another calendar year. Now, again, if your priority isn't to get to the highest level as quickly as possible, then there's nothing wrong with that. Stay at Jackson State and have a good time. But if you do want to coach at the highest level, if you do want to prove to everybody that you should have been here all along, well, then this is probably the best opportunity that you're going to get until the fall of 2023. And so I think that's part of it. And I think the other part is like I just said a minute ago, it is in fact the opportunity to coach at the highest level and all of these guys, especially Dion, who, oh, by the way, not wasn't just a great high-level athlete in one sport, but two. Remember, he was a, a Major League Baseball player on top of being maybe the best cornerback of all time. He's obviously a competitor. I think he obviously wants to get to the Power 5 level and prove all the doubters wrong, prove all the people that interviewed him and said thanks but no thanks wrong. And if that's the case, then again, this provides an opportunity. Now, in terms of the job itself, we'll get to some of the positives and negatives, but it is a school that has had a ton of success you know, historically, even if not of late. Uh, it isn't a power five. And I think here's the other part. And I keep talking about it. It's in a winnable power five. Now, can you build a team that can beat Alabama and Michigan and Ohio State at Colorado? Probably not. But if your goal is to win conference championships and compete for playoff bursts in a 12 team playoff, the Pac-12 actually might be the place to go right now. You get paid well. In the case of Colorado, there is a natural recruiting base in both Texas and California both places that Colorado has historically recruited really well. The transfer portal is a thing. You can get players out of the portal, especially if you're Deion Sanders. And oh, by the way, you can bring the best players from Jackson State with you. Your son, Shador Sanders, is an NFL draft prospect after next season. He can come with you to Colorado if he wants. Travis Hunter, the number one corner in high school football, can come with you to Colorado if he wants. So this isn't, again, I think we have to recalibrate what it takes to rebuild in the modern era of college football. Look at Sonny Dykes, look at Lincoln Riley, look at Brian Kelly. Sonny Dykes and Lincoln Riley as first-year head coaches at new schools may be going to the college football playoff in year one. So those are the positives. But I do think we got to talk about the negatives as well. The negatives are, even though there is a path to the playoff in a 12-team playoff, Colorado's actually a pretty tough job in the modern era. And we've talked about this a lot over the last couple months, but this is a place, listen, in the NIL world, Colorado isn't a place that right now is really equipped to compete. I've told the story before, but over the summer, we had one of their most prominent players from kind of the glory days under Bill McCartney, 1990 national champion or 89 or whenever it was on our radio show. And I said to him, I said, what is it going to take to get Colorado to get the buffs back to the top of college football? And he told me point blank. He said, I don't know if we can in the NIL world. I don't know if we have boosters that are willing to do what it takes to compete at the highest level, to funnel money needed into the program to have success at the level needed to compete again at the high level at Colorado. You have that. The Pac-12, while it could be a positive in a 12-team playoff era, 
It certainly isn't the SEC. It certainly isn't the Big Ten. It has its negatives. And let's just be blunt. Does Colorado, does Boulder, Colorado really feel like prime country? That I do not know. And I think it is worth noting as well. The future of the Pac-12 is uncertain. They don't have the TV deal locked up like the Big 12 does. And there are a lot of variables that really you can't, even as the head coach at Colorado or the head coach in any Pac-12 school, you can't guess or project going forward. And so my hunch is that Dion, you know, if I had to guess and I don't know, him, I'm just speculating. I think he says thanks, but no thanks. And if that's the case, it's hard to blame him. But if he is looking for a power five job, maybe just maybe Colorado's the spot. The one last thing, the way things are going at Auburn right now, they, they may run out of candidates if they don't end up with Hugh Freeze. So that's something to consider as well. Maybe he gets another look at Auburn if it doesn't work out with Hugh Freeze. But that said, I do think it is time for me to get out of here. want to thank you guys and girls for listening to today's Aaron Torres Sports Pod. And remember, we will do some heavy college basketball on Tuesday's show, recapping everything you missed during Feast Week, an incredible week of games. We're going to talk about it all. If you love the college hoops, make sure to tune in on Tuesday. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. It is time for me to get out of here. Shout out to Torque Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving week. Back on Tuesday, College Hoops, Aaron Tour Sports Pod. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.